Hello friends and welcome to episode 27 of the Regenerate Millennial Podcast. I personally have been getting over a cold for the last uh, couple weeks actually here. It's been hanging on. So I thought for this uh, podcast I would release a sermon uh, from Pastor Jordan who's the pastor at uh, the church that I attend. And uh, this is a beautiful sermon all about love and I would encourage you to uh, get out your Bible, follow along, and uh, you can start in uh, John chapter 15, verse 12, and uh, Jordan goes all the way to the end of chapter 15 of John. So, Jordan, thank you, brother, for uh, letting me release this sermon on the podcast, and hopefully I recover pretty quick here. And in another two weeks, we'll have a new episode for you guys. Thank you so much for the support. I pray that you are blessed by the words from the Bible uh, that are exegeted and presented by Pastor Jordan. I pray that it would uh, convict you, encourage you, that it would inspire you to open the word for yourself, to get into the word, because it's the only truth we have. And it's a beautiful thing that God has given us. Again, as always, this is all for God's glory and His glory alone. I hope you enjoy. Let's get started. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Now I earth out I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Push to record. There we go. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. So it's interesting. The keeping of God's commandments was laid down as a means of abiding in his, in his love. Keeping of God's commandments, they were laid down as a means of abiding in his love. How do I know I love Jesus? How can someone know if I love Jesus? I follow him. I do what he says. That's that's it right that's it if i'm doing something god doesn't tell me to do or say something god doesn't tell me to say i'm not being loving so we do know the two great commandments so these are found in matthew 22 uh, 37 through 40 you don't have to go there i'll just read it but jesus was asked what are the two greatest command or what's the greatest commandment and jesus breaks it up he says well the first is love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend or hang on these two commandments. So I'd like to say that the two commandments of the law, love God, love others, what Jesus is making extremely clear here is that they cannot exist apart from each other. Okay, that's literally why our mission statement is lovers of Jesus making lovers of Jesus. 
right? You couldn't be a claim you love Jesus and not love his bride. You, you couldn't do it, right? Um, let's, and let's make sure we're very clear on that. Jesus is talking to his bride. He's talking to his disciples specifically, okay, in this context. Um, it's really hard with, with the, um, what's it called, I guess, egocentric Western hermeneutical eyes to not think Jesus is talking right to me. He's not. He's talking to his disciples. So we have to keep that in mind, okay? So when it comes to love, okay, guys, I think the only thing that's, love is really easily understood in the right context, but it can also be like the, the hardest to understand. Um, but I think John, which is our author of, of this gospel, really paints a beautiful picture. So if you go to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. Um, I think I wrote down my... Um, uh, verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, so church, those saved, those called, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. So how do we know what love looked like? It was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So this is, what son, this is the example of love for us. God sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us and his love is perfected of the, in us. Okay. Um, going down to verse 20. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we see through that, through that text, just the intertwining of the two greatest commandments. Love God, you love others. If you love others, you're loving God, right? We said last time, you can't love God directly, right? You have to love, if you want to love God, okay, let me selfishly say this. You got to love me, right? You can't, you can't just love him directly. He's saying here, if you can't love your brother who you see or your sister who you see, there's no way you can claim you love God, right? And so, how do we do this? Going back to our text here, verse 13. Greater love has no, none than this, no one than this. So, so love couldn't point to something better, no better action, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So, so Jesus is foreshadowing what he's about to do. He's saying, I have the authority to tell you what love is because I'm about to 
not, not just because uh, I live up to some arbitrary line that's outside of me what love is. I am going to, because of my character and my nature, show you what love is by action, right? Out of my character. What that character is, I lay down my life for my friends. So basically he's saying, watch and then do. Watch what I, watch and then do. And everyone in that room did. They all literally went and died, right? After Jesus, right? Um, so you are my friends if you do what I command you. So notice in verse uh, 12, there's that word love. And that word there is agape in the Greek, okay? There's different understandings of the word love. This is one of the horrible things of English, by the way, because we just get kind of get rid of this. It's like, I love my wife. I love a cheeseburger. I love, you know, and it just diminishes this idea of love. That would never happen in, in this context or in the Hebrew context before. When you said a certain type of love and you created a status for that love publicly. You're like, you're not a cheeseburger. You're not my friend. You're not my wife. You're my God. Like, and then you have love for each one of those, right? Different type of love, different type of word. And what's interesting about agape is only, according to scripture, and you can do a study on this, I'm not going to get into it today, but with agape, only God can be a part of agape. No, Someone who does not have God in them cannot agape love. Because agape, that type of love, has to be, has to be in light of who God is. And so God agapes his church, right? And the church agapes God, right? That type of love that exists nowhere else. But also the church can agape the church because it's in light of who God is. But if I do not have God in my life, I cannot claim a level of love. I can't even dream of it. I can't, I can't even claim it, okay? And so... So there's that height of agape. And now he goes into 14, though, and he goes, you are my friends. Interesting. So if you go down um, to 19, verse 19, we'll get into this a bit more, but just for a quick reference here. Jesus says, if, if you were of the world, the world would love you. That love, guess what, is not agape. It's phileo. It's phileo. It's the kind of love a friend can have of a friend. Okay? So Jesus, without using the word phileo, is explaining the word phileo. And this is pretty interesting, okay? You are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So he says, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Listen to this. Where you, you, I, I believe you'll want this cross-reference for Proverbs 18, for, or for verse 14, which is Proverbs 18, verse 24. And I'll read it here for you. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother, okay? That's Proverbs 18, verse 21. So Jesus is saying, you, you are my friends. I no longer call you servants. 
Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. Okay, this is a proverb. Speaking of this phileo type of love, that is also God's, by the way, right? But it's a phileo, it's a type of love that flows from the Son to the church. Okay, now let's unpack this a bit. So he says, I no longer call you servants. Why? Why doesn't he call them servants anymore? What's the thing that's changed? What's the, what's the factor now that's been entered in that has been able to change them from being called servant to being called friends? What's the thing? This is... A... Yeah, so say it louder. No, what's master is doing. Yeah, so the reason Jesus calls them friends now is because they know the inside scoop. Because he's telling them what's going on. I don't know if you guys had this experience in your life before. Maybe a pastor's come to you or a, or a boss has come to you and says, Hey, you've been here a while? Sure, you're still my employee. But let me confide in you a bit. Let me talk to you a bit about some things that are a little deeper that's really going on around here, right? Now you're not just doing what I tell you to do blindly like a good servant like a good slave you you are doing it because you know why we're doing it now now i'm telling you why not just the what right so during this discourse jesus is literally telling them the why not all of it right as we go on uh we'll learn later that he still doesn't tell them everything because they can't handle everything right now but he's telling them as much as they can know Right? And because of that reality, now Jesus is calling them friends. Now, so what this is, is it's an elevation. It's a fuller and mature type of intimacy that Jesus is graciously extending. He, he's kind of, in a sense, leveling the relationship field. Yes, I'm your... Are they still, are they still slaves? Absolutely. But they are slaves who are called friends. Right? They know what's going on in the household now. They know what's happening. And so I had this told to me once, okay? And it changed a part of my heart that needed to be changed, okay? And so I'm going to say it to you guys. And I'm going to allow God, the Holy Spirit, to do with it as he wills, okay? Do you know that God loves you? Right? That he has sent his son for you. Now, we'd all, like Elsie May just did, yes, we've all heard that. We all claim to believe that. So let me ask you this, okay? Do you know that God likes you? That's a big difference. I, I took it down a notch even. I went from agape to phileo, and it meant more, right? Not only is it this, no longer does this, this just act of love that God did on my behalf 2,000 years ago, and thus he loves me, now he looks at me and he says he likes me. Not just loves me. Like, what? You like me? Try having a friend you don't like. It's impossible. So Jesus is putting on a whole level here. So no longer are you just doing what I say blindly. You're in on it. You know what's going on. You know why we do what we're doing now. You know the Christian goal. 
Love can only go as deep, okay? Now, let's, get, let's really get this, okay? Love can only go as deep as shared convictions. Love can only go as deep as shared convictions, okay? If the apostle or these disciples, not apostles yet, they will be, but if these disciples understood things different than Jesus did, they couldn't have that level of relationship because Jesus is over there doing something and they're over here doing something, okay? So there's a whole new level now of things we can be mutually joyful and because we know and believe the same things, okay? This is something the church needs to really get. There's a false doctrine out there that says, hey, as long as we believe the essentials, we're good. That's not the Bible, Paul's charge to the Corinthians, as we've studied a while ago in our hermeneutics, is that you all be of one mind. Why? So that you can be of one phileo. Right? You can be friends that are closer than a brother because you believe the same things. The same things. And so that's, so that's always the goal of us is to grow in our phileo of each other, in our understanding of the word together. What does that mean? Just do what the pastor says? No, that means wrestle the heck out of the pastor. That means wrestle the heck out of each other with scripture and make sure, like Bereans, we're studying the word of God correctly and we're not seeing it differently because if we're soldiers in the same army who are seeing the orders differently, we lose, right? We lose. We need to make sure we're seeing the orders the same, exactly the same, a bullet one millimeter off at the muzzle is horrible, <laughs> okay? So we need to, the God is a God of specifics, right? And so when we, when we come into a relationship of specifics, not just surface and whatever, there's some people in our life where we just have to be like, okay, that's, that's as deep as they want to go. So that's where I'm going to keep them. They're not coming into my phileo, right? Jesus is saying to his disciples here, you're in my phileo. Like you're my friend, you're still a servant, you're still a slave, but you're a friend now. So I kind of get the picture of like you're starting a new job like in our modern day world and you're being faithful and you're working hard and, you're, and you kind of earn that phileo with your boss, right? These guys have earned it with Jesus. Like they've earned it, right? So no longer are they just slaves, they're friends. Wow, right? So verse 16 but let me tell you about the foundation of our relationship, okay, guys? You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, okay? So now before we get all excited here, okay, uh, let's apply faithful hermeneutics first, okay? Who, are, who is Jesus talking to? Okay, he ain't talking to you in this text, so you cannot faithfully use this text and say that God chose you. You can't do it, okay? You can use it as a helper, but you can't do it faithfully by just using this text. That's using a narrative in place of an epistle. We'll learn that. It's really good. So he says, you did not choose me, but I chose literally. We have the stories of the accounts in the gospels when he went up to each one of them and said, you, follow me, let's go, 
right? And they're like, okay, they, they did not choose him, right? So something that can be super dangerous is bad theology. And so, or bad doctrine, bad hermeneutics. And so here's bad hermeneutics. In the book of Acts, you don't have to turn there, but it's, 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 it's one of my favorite, I, I don't know, maybe it's a little sadistic of me, but whatever. It's one of my favorite verses in regards to bad hermeneutics. So in the book of Acts in chapter 19, there's these seven sons of a Jewish high priest, right? They've heard about the apostles. They've heard about Jesus. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to go do what they do. So they go into this house with a man who's possessed by a demon. And they start trying to exercise him. Like they're trying to take the demon out of this guy, right? And they're all like, in the name of whatever, right? Jesus and whatever. And this is what happens. But the evil spirit answered them out of, this, out of this guy who was possessed. He goes, Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. Because he's not omnipotent. Notice he makes two different claims there. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? Right? And they're like, and then it says, and the man in, the, uh, in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Right? Bad hermeneutics. They go, well, if the apostles could do it, I can do it. Right? I don't know if you've heard that today. <laughs> Bad. It's dangerous. Right? Anytime I have an apostle come up and say, you know, I know an apostle, I know whatever, I'd be like, here, can you just bring them the snake and this poison and let them drink the poison and get bitten by a snake. That's what apostles could do and it wouldn't harm them, right? So we don't want to use bad hermeneutics here. So what we can do is we can faithfully use the greatest hermeneutical rule that scripture best interprets scripture and we can go to Ephesians 1 verse 4, okay? Ephesians 1 verse 4. So what we're trying to figure out here, and if it's hard for you to find Ephesians, Get in line, because it's hard for me to find Ephesians every time. Sovereign. All right. Ephesians 1. That's when you know you're going to heaven if you beat the pastor. Ephesians 1, verse 4. What's this? Who's this letter written to? Church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus. Is it written to apostles? No. No. Is it written by an apostle? Yes. Yes. It's written by Paul to a church. So now we can faithfully gladly claim this for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Ephesians 1 verse 4, even as Jesus, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be homeless, homeless, holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Mm -hmm. Right? So now we even have a fuller, more deeper promise than even Jesus made to the disciples. Jesus just met them in person. And he's like, hey, he's, he's, trying, he's justifying their phileo. Like, I chose you, remember? Like, you've been here since the beginning of our relationship. Then Paul goes, if you are in Christ, he chose you before you existed, before anything existed. Your life was written in the book of life chosen right so now we can claim it so now we can put ourselves in there faithfully make sure we're not abusing scripture right so 
Ezekiel, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide. That's another way of saying, be holy and blameless, <laughs> okay? So that whatever you ask in my Father's name, obviously, if you are in Christ and you are doing the things of Christ and you ask the Father in alliance with the mission of Christ, that glorifies the Father, as you learned before. It's like, of course I'm going to give that to you. It's, it's my mission, <laughs> right? He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Uh, the Berean Study Bible, I like how they did this last verse. This is how they translate it. Many, many translations do it this way, and I think, it's, I, I, I think it's kind of like a stamp. I think it's a little better. This is my command to you, love one another. This is my command to you, love one another, right? It's a little different. These things I command to you so that you will love one another, right? It's kind of like a stamp, right? So how do you know you are loving correctly? When you do what Jesus did, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, we've been dealing with love a lot lately because it's in these last chapters here. But that's what we need to get. How do I know what loving is? Because I know what Jesus did. I know how he acted. I know how he thought. I'm his phileo, so I can actually love. Right? I'm his friend. Because I'm his friend, I can actually love. Okay, so what is this claiming? This is claiming, okay, what's the negative of this? If I don't know Jesus, I can't love phileo or agape. I can't do it. And so when we're looking on TV or watching the world, we're watching media and they're all like, here's how to be a good person. Here's the next crave, right? Recycle, right? Make sure you recycle. Make sure you whatever, right? Make sure you do, you can fill in the blank. (laughs) Sorry, I'm blanking right now. I don't do great on negative examples. Um, Never have. You need to work on me on that, but whatever, right? It's just like, what, sir? Cardboard straws. Cardboard straws. Now, when I get a cardboard straw and a plastic cup, I feel loved. I don't know about you guys, but I do, okay? Um, and so I actually, where was I? Oh, yeah, I was at the Petro in Soy. It's a great place, by the way. They don't discriminate at all. Um, they really don't. And I went up to the front because they had a plastic straw, and I made a point. I was like, thank you for the plastic straw, right? And they're like, you're welcome. Like they knew, like they went out of their way to make sure not to get on that bang bang wagon or whatever. By the way, the first letter True North Community Church ever got was from the Oasis Church in town here. Is that what it's called? Oasis United. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was stoked because I didn't know anything because I was just new here. I'm like, yes, another church. We're going to partner with them. It's going to be awesome. And then I'm like, Raiden, please join with us in gospel work in removing all plastic straws from, I'm like, like, I just like, oh, I was so, anyway, what is, right, but what are they, they're just grasping at straws, when it, wow, when it comes to what is love, what is love, right, now I say over and over again, Jesus rarely loves you like you want to be loved, he loves you how you need to be loved, Okay? People in the church who are truly in the church, truly Christ's bride, will care about people's soul more than their feelings. Right? That's love. Where I risk my relationship with you for the sake of my agape with him. Right? 
even though I want my phileo with you, and that takes time, I'm not risking my agape. Sorry, <laughs> right? And I risk my agape when I give up who God is and how he operates, right? So in verses 12 through 17, Jesus is saying, this is how you show you love me. This is how you show you love me, okay? Now going from 18 to 25, Jesus is going to say, this is what will happen if you faithfully love me by loving each other. Here's what's going to happen to you, okay? If you love, okay? This is not what the media will tell you. If you love, this is what's going to happen to you. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So what's going to happen if Jesus is in me? (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. This if is not like perhaps or just in case or whatever. This if isn't saying this may or may not happen. It's a proof. Okay? Of if you actually love Jesus. Okay? If you actually love Jesus... The world hates you. Okay? The world will hate you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. And that's a great definition of phileo. Jesus is looking at his friends and saying, you are now my own. I am now your own. Right? We need to look at each other in this room and be like, we are each other's own, (laughs) if you will. Okay? He says... If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Mm -hmm. But because you are not of the world, why? Because I chose you out of the world, Mm -hmm. therefore the world hates you. Okay? So out of, there's a separation. John 17, 16, we'll get there eventually in the priestly prayers. But Jesus prays, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Okay? So there's this separation he's talking about. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Are you loved by this world? Okay? A friend of the world, a phileo of the world, is not a phileo of Jesus. Okay? So what that means is the reason I'm a phileo, I'm a a friend of Jesus is because I agree with him. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. So the reason the world hates me is because I don't agree with it. (laughs) I don't agree with it. (laughs) Right? Simple. Simple. (laughs) Right? Don't want to make it too simple. Or too complicated, sorry. So, remember, verse 20, the word that I said to you, And he said this during this actual discourse earlier on. I won't get into it. But a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They will also persecute you. And so this is part of counting the cost of being a Christian. Jesus never rushed anyone into salvation. Right? Right? We're we're like, you're going to hold off a bit on the old baptism thing here, you know. Not that it saves you. But we're like, are we sure this guy is counting the cost? Right? We have to do this with each other. Are you really counting the cost? Because Hudson, they're going to persecute you. Mm-hmm. Right? And then Jesus just throws this in here at the end. Or at the end of this little, or next, if you will. Verse, uh, if they kept my word, 
they will also keep yours. So he kind of throws in a positive and then he goes back to the negative, um, not in a negative sense, but just the negative of the reality of persecution. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Okay? So, verse 21. They don't actually know the Father. Right? That's why they won't listen to you. That's why they'll persecute you. So, this is very real in our day, okay? It seems like I'm harping a bit today. That's fine. So, this is super real in our day, okay? And my question is, why wouldn't it be, okay? So, there are, according to... According to the light of scripture, there's very few who profess Christ who are actually saved. Very few. Okay? Like, I was at in the subway lineup once, and this guy in front of me, and I've used it ever since, but he goes, um, he's like, put on that sweet sour or sweet onion sauce. When you think it's too much, keep going. Right? So now let me, put, let, let me put that in the negative. Weird example, but think in your mind what you think, okay? Because the way is narrow and the path is narrow. This is a real thing, okay? This is, this is 90% of Jesus' ministry is those who thought they were on the thin path, okay? So think in your mind, and this isn't like, a, oh, I'm trying to be better than thou or whatever. This is just real, okay? Think in your mind, how, what percentage, if you will, of people who profess Christ in the Okanagan are actually Christian? Whatever you think it is, think more. Do more. Okay? Whatever you think it is, think less. <laughs> think less. Sorry. Yes. Think less. Okay? So, you want to be disliked? By people who profess to be Christian, preach the word. Amen. Like, preach the word correctly, okay? So, but at the same time, if you want confidence in a true conversion, okay, preach the word correctly, mm-hmm. okay? So the same sun that hardens clay melts butter. Right? Your duty is this. Get this right. Get it right. That's your duty. Okay? And if they know the Father, because Jesus said the reason they won't per- the reason they're gonna persecute you is because they don't know the Father. Right? AKA, <laughs> going back to John 6, it's because they haven't been drawn by the Father. That's why they don't know him, right? But if they have been, if they know the Father, what does it say? What's the promise? They'll listen to it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that take a weight off your shoulder? Right? Now you're not trying to, like, make the word palpable. Make it, you know, like, like a lot of Pharisees didn't hear from John the Baptist, who warned you from the wrath to come? And they're, and they're like, you brood of vipers, right? If I were to transliterate that to today's wording, I wouldn't be able to say it in church. I'm just saying, right? Like that insult, right? They didn't feel loved by it, 
right? There are some people, if you look at them in the eye and you go, you're a filthy sinner in need of a savior, man. They'll tear up and say, thank you. Why? Because the father's in them. They know the father, right? So if their stomach, so first of all, this is green grass, man. Like this is the greenest pasture out there. And if a stomach is not prepared for it, it will reject it. Okay? You can't woo someone, right? Through like great self-help, through worldly pleasures to the gospel. You preach it. You just preach it. Right? Obviously without sin, without maliciousness, without hate, without whatever, you preach it faithfully. You say, this is what it says here. And if people reject it, it's not on you. Now get this. Oh, get this. If people reject it because you did it correctly, it's not on you. But here's something you don't want on you. Someone accepted something that wasn't Christianity because of what you said, and now you've coddled them to hell. That blood's on your hands, man. (laughs) Right? Like that's on your hands. The way I can have clean hands is I can say, I know the word. I know what you said, Jesus. And all I did was say what you said. So now they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting him. Right? So, Jesus is a friend of sinners because he serves them and he tells them the truth. That's why he's a friend of sinners. We've heard that growing up, whatever, right? Like, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And we get this, like, picture of him, like, hanging out, taking shots or something in the, in the pub or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. He's a friend of sinners because he tells them the truth and love. That's why he's a friend of sinners, right? So, verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on my account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Now, verse 22, it's an interesting point here. If I had not come and spoken to them, those who persecute him, they would not have been guilty of sin. Say, what? What? But now they have no excuse for their sin. Question. People who aren't, do not have belief in the Son of God or who have sinned or have fallen short of the glory of God, weird question, are they guilty of sin? Yes, right? They're guilty of sin. But he's saying, if I didn't come, they wouldn't be guilty of sin. So, if we don't know how Jesus talks sometimes, we would miss this. There's another time in Scripture, I'm not going to quote it right now, but you can go look it up, mainly because I forget where it is. But, um, (laughs) just escaped my mind right now, but whatever. Um, Is that Jesus says, I've come to turn mother against daughter. I've come... Right? Like, I've come, like, and so how Jesus talks and how they used to talk in this time is in a comparative sense. So compared to the other sins that you've done, okay, first I'll use the other example. Compared to how much you love your mom, you better love me so much more that if people were to look at that comparison, they would think you hate your mom, even though you love her. But compared to your love for me, it would seem like to the untrained eye that you don't love your mom because you're not treating her like you treat 
him. Right? This is how they would speak in a comparative sense. So Jesus is speaking in a comparative sense. He's saying, if I didn't come and physically show myself to them, right, then they would be guilty of a sin. That if they just did those other sins without rejecting me, the son of God, it would seem like they never, those sins didn't even matter. But now they're guilty of capital S sin. Because I came and told them to their face. Right? I was in their presence. So if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of that sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. What is the worst? We've talked about this before, so I'm not going to get right into it. But what is the worst sin you can do? Blasphemy in the Holy Spirit. Okay, explain that. How would you explain that? <laughs> uh, in in uh, the quickest, but most uh, succinct way I could, it would be uh, rejecting the Son. Right. Who, yeah. the, who the Holy Spirit has confirmed and who, who he points to. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So the greatest sin anyone can do is reject the Son. That's good. No, really good. Right? <laughs> Because what's the Holy Spirit's job? To witness to the Son, right? So Hebrews 6 talks about this as well, right? There's, there's no hope for that person anymore because they've had the taste, they've heard the sermons, they've been in the communion of believers, and they said, nah. They're guilty of the greatest sin, right? Because all authority has been... So now you're guilty of a sin against the one whom all authority lies, Right? If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of that sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law, no, in their law, like this is, they should know better. The word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Right? Psalms 39 or 69, as it says at the bottom there. So they hated me without cause. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for God. And now God has no restraint, even though he didn't before. But now he really has no restraint on being just. (laughs) There's no case. There's no case. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that to me, God. Right? And that's why we have the future confession of Isaiah 53, where the future Jews um, who end up believing in Jesus near the end of time, they say, we should have known better. We should have, please forgive me, right? But, verse 26, behold the ultimate truth. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Okay. We're going to get more into the Holy Spirit Um, again, as we have many times, but we're going to go to um, 27 here. The Holy Spirit's in you. Obviously, you will bear witness because if the Holy Spirit's in you, that's what you will do. (laughs) That's your new bent now. Because you have been with me from the beginning. So there's this rule. It's like, because you have been with me from the beginning, like that's the um, requirement to bear witness. But let's be careful here again, okay? Hermeneutically, 
he's speaking to his disciples. Okay? He's talking about a profound indwelling that only happened to the apostles. Okay? And I'm going to explain that really quick here in a, in a good way. Okay? Let's go to Acts 1. Acts 1. Okay? Which is like pretty quick um, in regards to timeline of John 16 or 15 here. So Acts 1, this is the start of the church, if you will, being laid down by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. So verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 20. This is Luke talking here, and it says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate. This is talking about Judas, okay? May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. So it's a prophecy of Judas leaving, okay? And let another take his office, his office, okay? Verse 21, so one of the men who have been appointed, so one of the men who have been accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, beginning from the baptism of John, until the day when he was taken up from us. One of, this man, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So there was a vacant spot with the apostles, right? But prophecy proclaims that even in heaven, the foundation of Zion will be placed on 12 stones with the apostles' names etched in them. Okay? So somebody had to take that place, right? But what was the criteria for them to take that place? Because there's only two people that fit the bill, that they were there at the baptism all the way through to the end. So they were hanging out the whole time. So now they have the credentials of an apostle, right? Not just that, but guys, Matthias, who was chosen, I guess the rule is don't have like three names like Joseph called Barsabbas, and it was also called Justice. (laughs) You don't want to write that on a stone, (laughs) right? Matthias was chosen. Okay, get this, guys. And they cast lots. Why? Because the Holy Spirit hadn't dropped on them yet. So they didn't didn't have a means to make a decision like that. (laughs) Isn't that nuts? So Matthias was chosen, and now his name is etched on a stone in heaven for all eternity. When people mess around with the office, this office, okay, it even says that, like the second prophecy there, let us, let another take his office. This is so important. So what Jesus is saying, okay, there are aspects, and this takes a lot of study, Um, or just continual study, really, daily study, of making sure that I don't claim that my name is etched on one of those stones. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, this was a high, high thing. Okay, we're about to start the church, which was laid by the prophets, Old Testament, and the apostles, as it says, right? Um, So the church was laid, the foundation of the church was laid by the prophets and the apostles, So they're saying, we're about to start the church commissioned by Christ. This office has a very high calling. You better be with Christ as much as he was in his earthly ministry was started at his baptism. 
So you didn't miss anything of Christ. Now, like in the flesh. So now you have the responsibility, the, the goal or whatever, the, um, the office of laying that foundation faithfully. And so Jesus says that to them, man. He says, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So why was that their standard? Because Jesus made that their standard. Mm-hmm. You can come with me. You can be my witness. And this is like, I would put this as capital W witness. Okay. We are not a capital W witness like, like these apostles. They were capital W witness in the sense of if their shadow crossed over you, you could be healed. Okay? They're capital W witness in the sense that if they decided to not heal you, you wouldn't be healed. They literally had the will of the power of God at their will. The power of God at their will. If they wanted to heal you, they could. If they didn't want to heal you, they wouldn't. And God would approve of it. Because he was, they were with them at the beginning and there's friends now. And so Jesus, so let me, let me do this with you, okay? In a fleshly, in a fleshly way, in an earthly way, and even, even greater, okay? Because I, I like putting us in our place, man. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> even in, in regards to Zion, the capital city of heaven, Jesus will have friends for all eternity on a level of phileo that we won't with him. Like, we weren't there from the beginning. Like, he walked with them. They, you know, they, like, and so that doesn't mean, what I'm trying to do is try to put our ego in check here when we're reading scripture. Jesus is talking to his closest friends that he's ever had and ever will have. Right? That's crazy. Like, and so when we're reading this, let's, let's just, let's just give him that. Let's just give him that place. Like when he's talking with his disciples here, don't westernize, um, egocentric, put, put ourselves, oh, yeah, 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 it's all me, it's all me, it's all me. No, we benefit from this relationship. Mm -hmm. We benefit from this relationship. And that's a scary place to be in, in regards to responsibility. Like, like, yes, it's a place of honor of course, that these apostles have. But man, they're, they're judged unlike no one. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? They're judged more than elders. They're judged more than fathers, right? And so it's a scary place to be. So let's just, I think it's just important to keep that in our mind when we um, think about these things. And so as we transfer um, here, let's just transfer the Lord's Supper. Um, but of course, we can faithfully, through the epistles, see that Jesus, of course, calls us to be major witnesses in the world uh, because the apostles are dead, right? So it's only the church right now, right? Um, And so when we do the Lord's Supper, we're, we're asked to remember. So the fact that we remember must imply that we know the plan, right? Right? So not all of it, of course, but enough. Because of that, you're a friend of Jesus. You're a phileo because of the Holy Spirit's work in your life through this word. You're a phileo, right? Um, based on the agape of the drawing of the Father, right? You're a phileo of Jesus. So believe that if 
that if you believe in the one whom God sent, and you will be indeed be saved, he will never let you go. So, just remember now, the author of this book, John, the Apostle John, thought that there was no greater identifier for himself than the one whom Jesus loved. Right? The one whom Jesus phileoed. So when, Jesus, when, when the Apostle John, in this book, writes about himself, he doesn't say, I, John, went with Jesus. He says, the one whom Jesus loved went with Jesus. That's how he designates himself. He can think of no greater identifier. Right? And there's no greater identifier when we're in the courts of heaven. And be like, he loved me. <laughs> right? He loved me. Who are you? doesn't matter who I am. Jesus loved me. That's who I am, right? So verse 13 of our text is what I want um, us to focus on because there's so many implications to it, both from Jesus to us and us to others. Verse 13, greater love has none than this, no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Check one, two, first Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church The kind of things that few search They say that the truth hurts Well this pain is gain So let's explain the new birth First things first Can't neglect us at the start I must preface my remarks With the deadness of the heart From original sin The effects of the fall The sin of our first parents Brought death to us all Since Adam was our federal head What he did counted for us In him were all rebels and dead Yo, captured in the mind Disaster, sin and crimes In a dark state Alaska in the winter time Sour in our Frames. Left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames Cause we're powerless to change If you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3